Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Controversy involving the new Mets owner, but it has nothing to do with baseball. Steve Overmeyer, back in the newsroom with more on that. Steve. Yeah, Jessica, it seems like the bloom is off the rose, at least for some Mets fans. New owner Steve Cohen got dragged into this GameStop mess on social media, and the exchanges led him and his family receiving personal threats. So Cohen stopped all communication with fans on Twitter by deleting his account. He even sent out a statement saying this week's events in no way affects the Mets' financial resources. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 31st, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well, welcome to a frigid edition of the Talking Mets podcast and I'm sure many of you out there here on this uh, late Sunday morning, early Sunday afternoon as I come to you are hunkering down, getting ready for a storm that's going to hit the tri-state area. So stay safe and stay warm and, you know, get ready to shovel a, a bunch of snow. Hopefully the, the experts are, are wrong and we get a little bit less. But anyway, in the interim, uh, you could warm yourself up as we'll talk uh, a little bit today about a bunch of topics, and it's a different type of show. It's not a hardcore hot stove type show. I'll be uh, bringing in, in just a little bit, 
our friend from Faith and Fear and Flushing, Greg Prince. And I know you might say it's odd. Why am I going to spend a good chunk of the show talking about Daniel Murphy and Daniel Murphy's retirement? Because it's not like Daniel Murphy's a Hall of Famer or not like Daniel Murphy was David Wright. But I think Daniel Murphy represented an era of Mets baseball. I think it's, I at least feel a little bit old as you see members of the 2015 team go down, you know, Cespedes might not play again, Wright's out, dude is probably, his career's probably over, Murphy retired, uh, Granderson retired, and, uh, you know, you look at that team and, you know, it just shows you how quickly time goes by, so I think there's a lot of fun memories of Murphy, uh, I think there's some fun anecdotes, I think that Greg Prince, who's basically, from the blogosphere standpoint, our Mets historian, would give us a, a nice context to the career of Murph that represented, in my opinion, a Mets era. So you'll hear from Greg Prince in just a little bit. And I guess we'll call this the Daniel Murphy episode. We'll try to keep it positive because, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative going on in uh, the Mets universe and namely connected to the owner, and I'll get to that in a minute. But where are we at with free agency? So I said the other day after the Steven Match trade, the big theme was is something big about to happen. And I, I still think the Mets are sitting back and trying to be opportunistic. Now, the 40-man roster is full after the loop signing, after the trade of Mats for some of the young arms. So the Mets will have to make some 40-man machinations if they want to bring in another player. But the two names you hear, and I don't know if you could get both, and I think it all depends on how Trevor Bauer and that sweepstake goes, is Trevor Bauer and Jackie Bradley Jr. And in my opinion, the Mets would much more much rather have Bauer. I would much rather have Bauer create somewhat of a super rotation and then you could figure out on a cost-effective way the defense and center, the right-handed bat and all that other stuff versus signing Jackie Bradley Jr. who is remember what Boris says his agent who is still going to be very expensive. He made 10-11 million dollars last year. And I was looking at some metrics uh, from FanGraphs and I laughed when I heard that Boris was still looking for an $80, $90 million contract for Jackie Bradley Jr. Well, guess what? Boris is going and using, if not Fangraph's metrics, but some kind of advanced metrics his team comes up with. And at his peak defensively, even with the bat being below league average, he could still pop you some home runs, having issues against lefties. Jackie Bradley Jr., from a, a, a conversion of win shares into dollars, is worth about $20 million a year. Now, he hasn't been that, in the in every season of his career, but last year in a sixty game season, he was you know on pace to do that and much more. He can go significantly north of that. So I could see the pitch. I think in reality, it's hard to justify giving somebody that kind of money when you're at a luxury tax threshold of two hundred ten million dollars. You can't justify giving Jackie Bradley Jr. twenty million dollars a year, but you might be able to go you know two year deal, maybe some kind of opt out. And, uh, you know, go 10 to $15 million and justify that. Remember, in uh, 2018, when Brandon Nimmo played every day, was not hurt, and also Jackie Bradley Jr., even with Jackie Bradley Jr.'s defense, Brandon Nimmo was worth a couple of more win shares. Brandon Nimmo was actually a top five offensive outfielder. It was a great season, and I think Nimmo, when healthy, can produce very much what he produced in 2018. He had the pandemic season hard to assess. You had the injury plague season of 2019. So give Brandon Nimmo the job full-time, whether in the corner or in center. And yes, you'll sacrifice a little on defense, but his offense and his run creation, his run production 
will more than make up for it. So uh, I think I would not sacrifice uh, Nimmo for Jackie Bradley Jr. I'm okay with going with Nimmo in center if uh, that means bringing in Trevor Bauer. I think that's the fish that the Mets want to land, and and we talk that depth about that. And, and, you know, look, if you don't get Bauer and you get or go a little bit more in on Jackie Bradley Jr., there is veteran arms still out there. As I predicted, the Kluber contract kind of made things more expensive, but Jake Arrieta is throwing for people. There's a veteran I've mentioned. I know he hasn't been good for a couple of years, but he could give you innings if he's healthy in the back end of the rotation. He's a competitor. He's he's pitched in big games. Guys like that, you know, you want them to keep you. With this offense and potentially with the bullpen being pretty good, you keep you keep the this kind of offense. Even, uh, you know, right now I, I, you could make the argument – that they have a hole because with the DH, there's a hole in the outfield. You could keep this offense uh, in a game. They're probably going to win some of those games. It's been the bullpen that's been undoing them the last couple of years, not their offense. Not Starting pitching was an issue last year. But when healthy, I, even without Bauer, I think the starting pitching is good enough. The bullpen's good enough. Uh, the offense is 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 going to keep you, you know, in, offense is going to win you some games. So away you go. You could still... You could still improve the team throughout the season. Now, the other big thing, Nolan Arenado trade going to St. Louis. I kept telling you guys, I, I know some people who are very familiar with that division, with that situation, and he was never coming to the Mets. He had the no-trade clause. Uh, you know, he's a West Coast guy. From what I understand, the Dodgers were the team he probably would have preferred to go to. When I say he's a West Coast guy, you know, St. Louis is it's the old gateway to the West. It's a great place to play. Yes, it's not the West Coast, but it's a pleasant fan base. It's a pleasant media market. Uh, it's almost like uh, the National League version of the Yankees, the old school baseball history that comes with being a Cardinal. And I think that's a good place for him. I think he's going to be a good fit there. I do not see a scenario where the Mets could have brought in another $30 million-ish annual average value player. Yes, he would have been great as a third baseman with the gold glove, and I know his... And here, I'm not going to sound like a hypocrite. His numbers outside of cores, um, you know, obviously are not the same, but he's still a very solid hitter. He's a guy that could get you 275, you know, 25, 30 home runs, 90 to 100 RBIs, and gold glove defense. That's a very good player. He might become their version of the modern-day Scott Rowland, not to be funny. Might be that kind of guy, and, and that's a good place for him to be. Mets were never in it. I know the prospect capital, which looks like they're giving up prospects, depending on the report, somewhere between 20 and 30 on the top 30 list. I know that we're using that, you know, silly evaluation. Could the Mets have done something there? I, I, I'm sure they could have. Um, I'm not sure if the, 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 the Rockies were going to get in on that. I think it comes down to where you're going to spend the money. And at the beginning of the offseason, I didn't think the Mets were going to sign any excuse me, we're going to trade for any big player because I didn't think they want to give up the prospect capital. If you told me you have uh, Chris Bryant, Arenado, Lindor as the three, who would you prefer if you were able to make a deal that wasn't going to be extreme pain from the big league roster and allow you to still keep some of your core prospects? I would say Lindor, and they made that deal. Guy's a five-tool player. If he's healthy, if he could rebound from some of the decline he's had the last couple of years, plays a premium position, has power, has speed. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. The Mets got their guy. Once they got Lindor, Chris Bryant, Arenado, all that stuff, that was on the back burner. And Andy Martino has finally said what I've been trying to say over the last couple of months. 
J.D. Davis, you guys want to throw him off the island. J.D. Davis has control. He's affordable. He's got a really good bat. He can be a very good bat, an elite bat, I think, if you just give him a position, leave him alone, let him focus on his offense, take what you get on defense. I think he's improved at third base. I know he's not going to grade out well defensively. I know he still has a little bit of that tap on the on the throws, but let him play. He's a hard worker. He's put a lot of time in. That's a guy that you trade him away, and then you're going to regret that after. And I could see you trading him away and him coming back to bite you like Justin Turner did, in a way. More so because it's more obvious his potential than Turner was when he was here. So uh, leave J.D. Davis alone, and it sounds like if you listen to Martino's reporting, the Mets are going to do that too, and that's a good move. And I'm fine with you. I'm completely fine with the improvements up the middle behind the plate and at shortstop and potentially in center field. I'm completely fine with having J.D. Davis at third base. Not everybody has to be a gold glover. And can he be league average? I don't know. But, you know, you also have Luis Guillerme that could caddy him defensively, and you could do that. And he could also, you know, maybe give Guillerme some reps at third, and he could be part of a, a semi-platoon and things like that. Okay. Now to the big uh, controversy, and it's the Steve Cohen, Twitter, GameStop, all this stuff. Let me start by saying I have no idea how to dive into GameStop. I'm not going to make this a Forbes report. That would be insincere and phony of me. So I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to tell you that anybody in sports media or anybody on Twitter that's in any kind of realm of sports, if they're not an SEC attorney or someone that covers Wall Street in a big way, I don't care what their opinion on what's going on is, because they don't know. Steve Cohen can do, with his money, what he wants to do. It's not illegal to invest in someone's firm. You want to say he's rigging the market? Well, guess what? Just because you don't like Wall Street and you don't like the 1% doesn't mean it's bad. And if you were foolish enough over the last how many years you've been on this earth to believe that Wall Street wasn't a casino, you haven't been paying attention. And you as a day trader on Fidelity, whatever you do, doing what you do, if you think you're as important as the core companies and hedge funds and and banks that do what they have to do, then you're fooling yourself. And if you, it's it's like you go to the uh, the park to play a softball game because it's your side gig. It's not your primary way of of making your trade, and the Yankees show up, or the Mets show up. And then you say, well, it's not fair, I want to win. Well, you know, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Um, you also have to stop getting angry about how people make their money. Because if you want to start going to every single owner of every single professional sports team, you're probably going to see how they use the system for their own devices. How do you think someone's going to own a professional sports team? Selling vacuums door-to-door? Is that really what you think is going on? Mid-management level job? Who do you think the Dodgers are owned by? Look at the Guggenheimer group. Very much in the same world as Steve Cohen. You know, different things, some private equity. What do you think? You think those guys were honorable on everything they did? You don't think private equity? It's called Shark Tank. What do you think that that is all about? So let's get away from that. I know there's a bunch of you, a bunch of members of the media that would love to see Steve Cohen go to jail, that would love to see him have done something wrong, that would love the story to be, look at the Mets, they only had 90 days worth of prosperity, and now the team has to go into receivership with MLB and find an owner, and here comes A-Rod with his smiling face, or 
the Harris Blitzer group or, you know, who knows, you know, the Wilpons come back. I know that would be a great story. It'd give you your LOL Mets narrative. Not going to happen. You think that, you know, Steve Cohen's a dope? I keep telling you. Guy looked at the FBI. Read Black Edge. Guy looked at the FBI and said, I'm doing what I got to do. He's got a lot more scarier people that he has to deal with than Joel Sherman, Ken Davidoff, Twitter Mets fans, Twitter fakeness. Believe, believe me, this is this is the uh, the small potatoes. And that's why he left Twitter. Yeah, he got debt, but he realized that this was not worth it. I'll get to that in a minute. But again, did you think your money was going to beat the quants? Because, you know, it seems like some people have figured out some things. But guaranteed, you know, this grassroots stuff, someone's going to lose big and it's going to go bad for them and I'd be careful. But again, I'm not an expert, so I'm not getting into that end of the pool. Let me get to Barstool and Portnoy. Now, Dave, now a lot of people are angry because they feel Portnoy incited the masses to go after Cohen. And I believe he did. I saw him. Um, and it was, I don't think it was, I think his accusations were bad. I don't think it's bad that he called people out with his platform because I think that's important. I don't think he was disrespectful. I think he was connecting Cohen. And again, I don't know the machinations of everything. I followed a little bit, a bit of it. I think he was connecting Cohen as the symbol of the unfairness of the Wall Street game. And I could understand that, but you can't just single him out. And you can't, and I think it got to the point where people, because they don't know what they're talking about, and this is where the irresponsibility part is, because you can't do that in 200 and something characters on Twitter, where they, then people start to say, well, it's him. So you could throw anything out there. You could take anybody's tweet at a snapshot. It's, been happened, it's happened to me. And you could go out there and you can, you know, just make it whatever you want, because then you can incite the masses. Now, I'm going to say this about Portnoy and Barstool. Not a totally a fan of everything they do. I'm not a Barstool guy. They've done a tremendous job building that brand with private equity money, mind you. So they're part of the, the, the sharks. They should be careful. I know he's even done stock things and gambling things. And believe me, he's in that very much that gray area. So, you know, Dave is going to throw rocks. He realized he has a glass house on his own. But, but he stands by himself. He doesn't hide. I'll give him credit. I'll say this also about Dave Portnoy. He has done a tremendous job for small business over the last two months. And I've put that out on Twitter. Not that he needs my kudos. He's way bigger than me. I'm a peon. But that doesn't take none of this takes away what I'm about to say what he did. He has done more for small business than any politician, any president-elect, any president that ran, any uh, bureaucrat, any other uh, big company in the last year. He should be applauded, and he's helping save jobs. And I don't think you guys realize, some of you do, not everybody realizes how painful not being able to work is for a, a large percentage of, of people that uh, they want to work, they can't work, and nothing that the government does is going to make up for the fact that uh, things that happen out of their control are preventing that. And and Portnoy has done a lot, obviously promoting Barstool and also getting their their word out to help them. That doesn't mean what he did with Cohen, you know, that doesn't mean what he's what he's done gives him a pass with Cohen. I think he did incite the masses. I think it was irresponsible. I think that it's hard to have these conversations on Twitter, and I know Cohen wanted to take him offline. But at the end of the day, what I'd say is this. If the Steve Cohen situation is a license for the media to find the next thing to drag him down, um, bring it on. I think you're going to lose. But in the end... Why? He's here. You, the Athletic ran a series on 
the game and the problems with the game. And the one theme from Agents, and yes, it involves money, is that the Mets have the one owner that actually gives a damn about winning. In an environment where we're trying to figure out how to incentivize teams to win, this guy came in and wants to win. And everybody's rooting for the Mets to be ruined by the GameStop situation or Cohen to go to jail or Cohen to give up the team. And then fans, I saw fans getting in on it. At some point, there's two components to this. One, are we just looking to tear people down? Is this what it's all about now in any media? Just tear people down. And then two, if fans and media want some kind of transparency and they don't want this, and I said this in a prior podcast, in a prior show, a prior program, whatever you want to call this, Everybody's got their own adjective for it. You want this not to go with corporate team Zoom media. Then stop. Because every time something like this happens, it's another shot at the bow of people saying, here's a guy who wanted to interact with the Mets. Didn't want to talk stocks. Didn't want to talk politics. They went after him for parlor. They went after him now for the stock thing. He guys, he's he didn't need this. The, the Mets, I know, is an is a. The Mets are a medallion for him. He's going to lose money on the deal in the next couple of years, from what reports are. But he also gets a tremendous amount of benefits. Don't be fooled. He didn't have to get involved. His family didn't have to get involved in this. They're really in a good place. The Mets are just going to bring, as they have shown, bring more headaches to them, and hopefully the headaches are outweighed by the benefit. And what you're proving to everybody is, A, I'm not sure, and maybe it's not Mets fans that did this. It was the Portnoy Barstool crowd and the finance crowd and the woke crowd. But what you're proving here is that you really can't handle success because I've seen a couple of instances where now the Mets are getting on the deep end of the pool, getting some maybe a super rotation, and let's focus on Trevor Bauer's social media stuff, benign social media actions. Cohen loves being on Twitter. Let's drag him down. This is where it's going. You're going to be left with Zoom and corporate team interaction. Now, it'll be good for a show like this, so bring it on. But it's not good for the industry, and it's not good for you, the fan. And it's not good to grow the sport. And the fact that a guy who wants to win and spend his money to win in sports in an era where it's being applauded by the media and by experts to not win, to drag a guy like that or find a way to drag a guy like that down is just very disappointing to me. And what is he going to jail for anyway? For giving money to somebody? Last I look, last I look, it's still a free country, though it doesn't look like it all the time, and civil liberties are being taken away illegally. Giving money to somebody is not illegal. Now, if the SEC or an attorney that has some kind of panache or resume wants to argue that, you could do that on a, the proper outlet, not this. But from when I look, all you guys are trying to do is create a story where there isn't one. And the guy got off Twitter. Good for him. Bad for us. Now you're not going to be able to... You know, you found out about Jared Porter getting fired on Twitter. Now you're going to have to wait for the Mets to send out a statement. You happy? That's where this is going. Anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing. Let's get something positive here. Let's talk about Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy retired. Uh, just yesterday. I heard it early, earlier in the week it was coming, and I couldn't verify it, but I saw some rumblings about it. Uh, makes me feel old, because a guy from the 2015 and team retiring you know, at age 35, didn't expect that. 
Um, but I think Murphy represents an era of Mets baseball, and it's interesting to look back at his career, kind of look at the things that we were wrong about him and maybe how he was underappreciated for so long. And who better to do that than our Mets historians? Mets, I'm, I'm on a roll here. I'm bungling. Our Mets historian, Greg Prince, Faith in Fear and Flushing. So let's take a quick break. When we return, Daniel Murphy, Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing, right after this. What kind of teammate was Daniel Murphy? I really appreciated having him in the locker room. There were several times I actually went to him for advice, whether it was on the field or off the field, a couple of different times, and he was always there. I still keep in communication with him. Um, I actually talked to him a couple days ago when I had kind of uh, heard about all this. So uh, really happy for him. And he got to go out on his own volition. So that is something that I think every athlete just hopes for and wishes for and so good good on him for being able to do that jim um you watched yeah. and analyzed murph as a player for many years how surprised were you uh after that incredible run he went on october of 2015 i don't know if there i've seen anyone in a postseason go on that uh, run and stretch that he had uh that particular year and for him to then go on and you know some of the things that that rec was talking about his base running at times uh, was a little over aggressive. I don't know. We would kind of joke about it. That he, he thought he was in. He thought he was invisible. He'd be trying to take an extra base when there was like no chance of him doing it. The defense at times got a little shady, but overall, he was an unbelievable hitter. I remember talking to him after he left the Mets. He went to the Nationals. He had those two dominant years. Was MV runner-up MVP, I think, in uh, 2015. And just being able to talk about you know his approach, it wasn't all that complicated, but very uh, obviously a great understanding of what he was as a hitter using the entire field, both, you know, both lines, uh, foul pole to foul pole, which you don't see a lot of. Um, just, I, I was really, really impressed how he was able to take his game to that next level, uh, you know, not only in that postseason, but then when he went on to the national. The 3-2 is driven to right. That ball is gone. Daniel Murphy has broken the tie here in the sixth. It is 3-2 Mets. What a play by Murphy. He threw him out. And game one goes to the Mets. That's in the air to right. That's pretty deep. That ball is gone. Daniel Murphy has struck again. Every zone. And this ball is drilled to right center field. It is deep. Man alive. Daniel Murphy has homered for the fifth straight postseason game. A 1 1. In the air. Deep right center field. That ball is gone. Daniel Murphy has homered in six straight postseason games. Nobody's ever done it before. Bradbury, science fiction. It's not really happening. Can't be. We're back, and joining me, He's my Mets historian. Uh, there's Howie Rose. There's Gary Cohen. But look, us in the independent media, we have Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, at underscore Greg Prince. And when I heard the news about Daniel Murphy on Friday, which was 
there's rumors about it. I said there's one person I'd like to get the perspective on Murphy because I thought he was an interesting character in Mets history, despite the fact that maybe statistically he won't go down as a great Met, but an interesting character, interesting era. And joining me is Greg Prince. And Greg, welcome to the show. How you doing? And I'm sure, like you, like me, you felt a little old seeing Daniel Murphy retire. I mean, geez, the 2015 World Series was last night, right? Yeah, uh, doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, there's something about uh, the retirement of Daniel Murphy that really speaks to an era of Mets baseball, uh, kind of telling us that it's over, uh, not just 2015, uh, but really they the whole the 2010s, the early city field years, all that that uh, the Terry Collins era, if you will. He was a primary character for us and you turn around one day and then the kid who was you know promoted uh from during a pennant race <laughs> at, at a stadium called Shea <laughs> yeah, which also doesn't uh, isn't playing next year uh suddenly tells you well you know I'm done with baseball so to hear that uh, somebody who I think is going to be 36 on opening day has decided oh, you know I I've, I've done enough here in baseball uh, as a player i'm to to use that uh, hoary phrase we all love hanging them up uh yeah it's uh it was a little bracing the 2015 world series seemed like yesterday and what also it reminds me is we always debate about rebuilds and how what should you do to go for it and 2015 and you have a book amazing again how the 2015 new york mets brought the magic back to queens that was not supposed to be the plan, the banner year. I mean, there was always the plan for the Mets to be better, Matt Harvey, DeGrom, whatever. But that wasn't supposed to be the year, and it wasn't shaping up to be the year. All of a sudden, it was like we woke everyone up in the middle of the night and said, let's go on this wild road trip, mm-hmm. and it turned into something beautiful. But when the Mets lost to the Royals, there was always that, well, this is the first step. And, you know, Murphy's retirement, and subsequently, you know, he left that year after – and what has happened since then, a lot has happened in just five years, shows you how you got to enjoy that moment. I don't know if everybody did because it was so wild. It was so quick. It was 12 weeks and never pass up the opportunity to win. I know that there's financial capital ramifications. I understand the prospect capital, but ultimately you have a book about that team and it's a great memory and it's a fun team. And Murphy was at the head of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Mets had been, wandering in the desert really, from the time purgatory Shay yeah to purgatory. really you know that till opening day of that year and they had shown some you know some good days a nice little start in 2015 but were sort of flailing by the middle but just to get to that point was a quantum leap from where they had been from, say, 2009 to 2014. I think one of the things I thought of with with Daniel Murphy retiring was you you have to appreciate, you know, we're all going to, and I'm sure you and I are going to talk about uh, the the 2015 postseason and what he meant to getting that done. But to kind of get you through those terrible years (laughs) that preceded it, uh, you know, there weren't too many players who kind of hung in there every day with the Mets of that period who spanned, you know, the Jerry Manuel, Matt 
already forgot how to pronounce his name, <laughs> Jerry Manuel, <laughs> and uh, you know most of the Terry Collins uh, phase of managing when he was kind of getting the hang of it again. So there's just a lot of coming and going. And Daniel Murphy was there the whole time. I mean, he missed 2010 with an injury. He was down in the minors learning how to play second base. But he came back in 2011, you know, and would miss a little time here and there, but really turned himself into a quality major league player. And I'll you know, get back to 2015 in a second. But what, what I really love about his announcing his retirement was that he got to retire. He He wasn't just one of these guys who disappeared, who you had to go to his baseball reference page and see if anybody had ever signed him. Uh, he became an important enough player in the major leagues to have the status to say, I'm done and people noticing. So, you know, with all of that said, put on top of that, the 2015 Mets and a team that sort of, you know, I think came out of nowhere is a pretty fair assessment. The right. 2015 Mets this is a team that was winning games in the seventies year after year, their win totals. The fact that, you know, I don't think anybody picked them <laughs> to win a division going into the 2015 season. Uh, they took advantage. Like you said, you take advantage when you can. We're, you and I are sitting here talking about the 2015 Mets People who talked about Daniel Murphy when they heard the news talked about 2015. You know, no, nobody would have been talking about what nobody was talking about. Hey, in 2014, you know, they won five more games and they showed a little spunk in September. No, you, you know, you remember the postseason years, and those become your signatures as a fan, as a franchise, and you know, th th those were golden months. You know, however many weeks you, I think you said 12 weeks. Uh, that that was a ride that, that we hadn't had anything like since 2006 hadn't been in a world series since 2000 and daniel murphy was at the heart of that so yeah that's unfortunately with with the exceptions of a, of a handful of guys still on the current roster and certainly murphy wasn't uh that's in the past <laughs> yep. and it's Absolutely. hard to believe how much that's history as opposed to it being contemporary. Right. And if you go back and you read, and I was reading some old articles, you mentioned being sent down to the minor leagues to learn how to play second base. And believe it or not, that might have been fortuitous because he would have been a free agent a year earlier. And he may never have been on the 2015 Mets hmm. because throughout the course, he got hurt in the minor leagues, had that dirty slide. Yeah. Ironically in Syracuse, it happened when the Nats were the, uh, the affiliate and they were playing in Buffalo, the Mets. So throughout his tenure, so he gets called up, like you said, in 2008, long time ago. Seems like another lifetime ago. Still the collapse is still raw on you. The collapse is still raw. Collapse number two, if that's what you want to call it. Um, then he gets the first baseman's job because Delgado's hip goes bye-bye. And he's not really a first baseman. And they, as you read the article, what they're trying to do is let, have him learn a position uh, to trade him. You know, he's playing on roller skates out and left, first base, third base, second base. Certainly wasn't an outfielder, but he put the effort. Never complained, but every article was, what could we get from Murphy? And I remember talking to a member of one of those teams in Mets Purgatory, and they said the, the front office doesn't like him because he doesn't hit home runs. And I'm looking at the numbers here. Guy hit 321 year, 290, 280, 35, 40 doubles. Uh, didn't walk a lot, but he didn't hit home runs. 
a very solid offensive player that I think became the next level and then used a lot of that next level in the postseason and then unfortunately in Washington. And a knee injury is, I think, the reason why we're not seeing more Daniel Murphy because he had nobody talked about this microfracture injury that he had in Washington. That's a serious knee injury. But he was a solid player. We never, it's always in the moment that we don't appreciate the players. Now, I think he always had that panache. And, but Jim Duquette, you know, in the clip leading in, talked about the base running and the defense and a lot of the things that maybe we focused on. But it's funny how we focused on trading him and getting what well, the front office did, but the fans did too. Trading him, getting what they need for him, but never appreciating the moment. And that's the world we live in now, Greg. And I think in a different era, maybe it would have been different for Mets fans. But I felt like it was always a, the next thing. He's not part of the solution. And he turned out to be the man. He was the offense. The Mets went to the World Series on Murphy and pitching. Not offense and, and pitching, Murphy and pitching. Think about that. Yeah, well, one of the things I've noticed over the years is when you're watching a team, 162 games per year, you are too close to it to appreciate it sometimes. And that struck me when we got Piazza, because when Piazza was a Dodger, he was the greatest hitting catcher of all time, and he's hitting 360, 370, and we can't believe that uh, this kind of catcher exists. And then he comes to the Mets, and it's like, boy, he hits into a lot of double plays, doesn't he? Uh, You go back to the Strawberry years, and Daryl Strawberry put up phenomenal numbers almost from the time he came up. And we spent nothing but eight seasons picking apart all the things Daryl Strawberry did wrong. And while Daniel Murphy wasn't quite in the stratosphere of a Strawberry or Piazza, I think that was his story as we filtered it too often. Because this was a guy whose bat we wanted in the lineup after we saw it in 2008. So if, you, if you go back and look at his batting averages the first couple of weeks, he was hitting like 474, something ridiculous coming out of the Darn. gate in the major leagues. And then we discovered, well, he's not really much of a left fielder. And they took him out of there. And you know he bounced around the infield. And it was only desperation that allowed them eventually to realize we got to put him at second base or we got to forget about him because third base was still right. First base was, I mean, this was 2011 was Ike Davis uh, before he had had his uh, calamity in Colorado. And remember we started the season with Brad Emus in 2011, a guy they got from the rule five draft in last year about a week. So, you know, Murphy turned himself into a ball player. He turned himself into a ball player who made us talk about the good things he did rather than dwell on the fact that his base running was shaky and his defense was shaky. And he always just seemed to be marching to his own drummer uh, out there on the ball field. Um, You know, he got the job done and yeah, the, the 2015 postseason, the first two chapters of it against L.A. and against Chicago, especially the Chicago part, is the Daniel Murphy story. I mean, everybody got the Mets to the postseason. That's a team effort headed up by Jonas Espedes uh, those two months. But really, to get from Chicago to Kansas City, that's Daniel Murphy's doing. Uh, he becomes, I believe, the third consecutive Met postseason MVP 
well, he became it uh, six years ago, I suppose, or five years ago now, uh, to not come back to the Mets after winning a postseason MVP because that was Ray Knight's story. That was Mike Hampton's story. Uh, that was Daniel Murphy's story too, but he has that, you know, and he has that exalted place in Mets history. And then, then he, yeah, he turned around and became one of the all-time Met killers uh, just for fun, I suppose, and then turned himself into, you know, an all-star player and top flight <laughs> hitter. So um, it was a fascinating ride. And yeah, should have we, uh, you know, appreciated what we were seeing? We should always appreciate what we're seeing more than complain about. What do they it, say? That you don't know but they're the good... You don't know they're the good old days while you're living in them. That's no, always the old no, saying. It's, right? you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to get nostalgic for the 2013 Mets and the 2012 Mets and things like that. And when you're living in it and when you're saying, gosh, when are we going to have a winning record? When are we going to contend? Uh, it's hard not to uh, put that on a player who you see every day. But, you know, he he was a gamer. He, like you said, he, he switched positions uh, when they told him to. And didn't matter that it was it was not easy to switch positions. It never is, but uh, you know, he did it. Made himself indispensable in the end uh, through 2015. So uh, you know the the, the 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 that's the day-to-day nitty-gritty, the complaining and the the trade rumors and where what are we going to do with this guy? But I think the long view is you know one of the better hitters the Mets ever developed. And for, you know, a couple of weeks, one of the greatest hitters the Mets ever had in, you know, as important a moment as you can have in the playoffs. It's funny, no prospect lists. I don't remember ever, you know, that's the early days of the blogosphere talking about Daniel Murphy. Uh, And ironically, I I will say this, Greg, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. If the Mets win a World Series, I think Game 5 in L.A. in the Division Series goes down as an historic Mets postseason win I thought that was a great series I thought that was a character building series I thought that series had as much to them blitzing the Cubs because of how hard I don't think people realize how good the Dodgers were they were facing Kershaw and Grenke at their peak four times in five out of five now they had the one they had another pitcher any competent pitcher maybe the game three at City Field is a lot harder game because Matt Harvey didn't have his stuff and maybe that was the harbinger the injury to come but they win game five in L.A. Any ball player I've talked to says tough place to play. Very underrated as far as how difficult that fan base is when it's, you know, they're rabid. And it's a Murphy base running play that helps tie the game. Ironically, the guy who doesn't know how to run the bases, Mm -hmm. the guy on roller skates, and then the home run into that little spot in right field, the golf's a home run down the line. And then, of course, Noah Syndergaard with a big uh, inning out out of the bullpen, familiar with six outs. Um, Chase Utley had his little dance mm-hmm. there with getting a nice uh, bit of wood on the ball in the ninth inning. I'm sure your heart went up a yeah. little bit. I uh, remember that and say, ah, oh, no, don't do this. Uh, but uh, ironically, I think that game and Murphy uh, specifically might have been cemented more if the Mets won a title that year. Yeah, you know, the problem with a long postseason is the waves come along and wash away everything you just saw and then you stand there at the end of it and saying what happened in the league division series round again especially if if you're not you know hooked up to one particular team and you know it, it used to be uh, forgive me for using 
a codger phrase like it used to be. But it used to be. You're you <laughs> you a codger now, and, Greg. Good minute. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I, 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 I was always a codger. I just used to be younger. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you used to be able to stand there at the end of a postseason and remember pretty much every game that was played when it was four teams in a postseason from both leagues. And yeah. now there's just a lot of volume and it's great to live through, but you really have to, you know, make the effort to pick out those moments. And I, yeah, I think the uh, game five in LA it, you know, is a certifiable Mets classic. Uh, you know, conversely, I don't, I don't remember without prompting. I don't remember quite as much of the NLCS, except that Daniel Murphy hit a ton of home runs <laughs> or he'd won a game and uh, we, we got where we were going and that's great too. But yeah, game five, uh, I think it was Terry Collins' finest moment, leaving DeGrom, A, leaving DeGrom in, B, bringing Syndergaard in when he did, a guy who never pitched relief, C, taking Syndergaard out when he did, and yeah, going to Familia for two innings, which was something he almost never did when Familia was at the top of his game. So, and, you know, that's the backdrop for Daniel Murphy essentially winning the game with his bat and his, yes, let's say it, his savvy. Uh, he had a role, I believe, in each one of those three runs. And, you know, that, that's, that's a great signature to have. I mean, if, if it's not, you know, game six in Houston, if it's not the Grand right. Slam single game, it's pretty close to the next it's strata. It's one of the important games. And I just felt so, so good about the 2015 postseason. Not obviously for myself, because I'm a Mets fan, but for so many Mets fans who came along, who didn't see 1986 who might not even at that point remember 2000 who all they knew about the Mets was uh, a called strike three and two collapses and then nothing but misery for about a decade um, now you had a, a pennant to call your own uh, a world series run to call your own I wish it had lasted a little longer uh, 2016 was a, a fun stretch drive in its own right but it was like basically a half different team sure. after that uh, postseason. Sure. And then by the second week of 2017, the Mets were flailing again. And now, as we said, that's history. And which is, you know, eventually it was going to be history, but it would have been nice to have lived in it a little longer. Uh, the the idea that, you know, game five would, would live on probably <clears throat> would, would have more resonance if it was part of an era. And really 20 would, would do with due respect to the right. 2016 Mets, I think the 2015 Mets are kind of a, in a little bit of a vacuum. Absolutely. Uh, and, and no funny Murph makes the play in game two uh, to end the game with his glove. Another thing that nobody uh, talked about. Yes. He made the error in the world series. And it's almost like it's, it's the, when you look at why they let him go, I think the error in the world series is what people let him go over. I know it was deeper than that. Because everything indicated that he was evolving as a hitter, but he didn't have a position. And at that point, you still thought David Wright had juice in the tank. You had known David Wright didn't have juice in the tank. Maybe bring him back as your third baseman. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. But interesting. We know the home runs, but he made a big play with his glove in game two to end the, the NLCS game two, the base running play. And then he's got, he gets let go. And Sandy Alderson has said on his return tour, he regrets that. And I remember being one of those that said, well, you know, he, he got to get a better second baseman. Ben Zobris was the guy. And you figure Ben Zobris is a more complete hitter. He gets on base. Analytically, he's better, better defensively, versatile. 
a lot of what you actually get out of uh, Jeff McNeil now. Um, Murphy is, you know, you don't, you don't pay somebody in October. Now, yeah, he would have fizzled because the knee injury would have happened, but you wonder what the arc of the Mets would be different with those two. I mean, he was a top five hitter, top 10 hitter in all, all of baseball in some ways, those two years with Washington, we saw it up close and it's really interesting. The whole Murphy narrative from being in purgatory to being underappreciated to being kicked around and then going to Washington and finding his success kind of exemplifies the last 20 years for the Mets. Don't you think he's kind of a synopsis of the whole thing? Yeah. And that team too. And I'll tell you why he said it in his retirement comments. uh, I think it was to Andy Martino of SNY. Those guys got kicked around Murphy, Flores, Duda, Tahada, because they were in that Tony Bernazard, Omar, all that controversy. It was a snake pit, let's face it. And they all came out for at least some of them for one October or one year better on the other end. For Mur- Murphy, he he got 1,500 hits and had a solid career. It was very interesting how there's so much symbolic Mets of the last two decades in just one player. You know, coming out of the 2015 World Series, and I have to admit the the error in game four haunted me because I was at that game and I had a great view of it. I still and- blame <laughs> Terry Collins to this day. I keep saying he mismanaged the bullpen. Everyone gets mad at me. They yell at me on Twitter. They block me. I'm telling you, Greg, I watched that game. One manager brought his closer in. The other manager didn't. And guess who won the game? So that, yeah. I'll, well, I'll stay know, off yeah, that. 20, you know, tw- the 2015 World Series was an honest-to-God team effort because they all lost it together. Sure. Um, but coming out of there, the error, the fact that he, you know, the bat cooled off, I think I felt in my bones, well, we've we've rolled the dice with Murphy this long. We've, we've got more than we ever could have imagined to get here. What more are we going to get? Not, not that anybody asked me my opinion. So when he, you know, when they gave him a qualifying offer and he didn't accept it, I was like, okay, time, time to move on. And that eventually, uh, when Zobrist didn't sign, became Neil Walker, a uh, perfectly competent professional who didn't do anything spectacular here. Uh, Solid. One, one month of hitting home runs and a lot of references to the fact that he was from Pittsburgh. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, the funny thing is, if we've got to remember that these were the Wilpon Mets. It wasn't that long ago that, that they were the Wilpon Mets. And I, I think we convinced ourselves that, well, we couldn't have signed Murphy long-term because then we couldn't have signed Cespedes long-term. And we wanted to sign Cespedes long-term because we saw what he could do in two months. Whereas we saw what Murphy could do over seven or eight seasons. But I think that's what, well, speaking just for myself, I think that's what sort of gave me pause. Like I've seen everything Murphy can do, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sublime. Um, I think I've lived enough of a Daniel Murphy life, I was probably thinking. And when it said, hey, you can have Yohannes Cespedes because they didn't spend the money on anybody else. I was like, bring him back because he was so great in August, <laughs> in September. Sure. So, sure. Uh, you know, you had to make some choices. Uh, you know, that was, you know, all, all the names that, that he, he mentioned and that you mentioned, um, you know, that that's not quite to the extent that, that he enjoyed as a career because they all came up after him. You know, obviously, David Wright was there before him, but everybody else on the 2015 Mets came along, but especially the guys who bubbled up through the system. You know, this was their moment in the sun, 
and that there was a, a you know, always this sense of Island of Misfit Toys when it came to stocking match rosters uh, heading into 2015 and the guys who survived like Flores, like Duda, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think they sort of validated whatever faith, reluctant or otherwise, the organization put in them, uh, the fans put into them. And, you know, they, they had their moments. Some of them probably extended their careers because they showed what they meant to a championship team. And I guess Flores is still playing. Uh, you know, Ligaris played for the Mets for about a minute last year. Uh, Duda, I think, is no longer signed by anybody maybe he was signed this offseason so i apologize if i've gotten that wrong but a lot of guys who had decent length careers um unfortunately you know just just from a sentimental standpoint unfortunately four of them at the mets anymore um de grom Syndergaard, conforto and familia who had to step out to, to oakland for a couple of months but um you know again we're talking about daniel murphy and Daniel Murphy came out of that season, came out of that 2015 season in better condition than anybody and probably better than most of us would have realized when he went to Washington and became this you know, borderline superstar, never mind all-star. Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, uh, actually nice little gesture. I didn't know this. I just saw this from Jay Horowitz on Twitter that on the Whitestone board outside City Field, they did a nice you know, thank you to Daniel Murphy for a career. Maybe, yeah. maybe we should have appreciated more when he was here. Who knows what 16, like I said, who knows what's, it's always like we love these players after they're gone. Um, I wanted to get, before we wrap up your thoughts. So uh, obviously the Mets are entering a new era. I don't think there's any question in your mind, Greg, these, that the same old Mets. I don't know what's going to happen in the Steve Cohen era. I don't know how many championships they're going to have. I think you would agree. Things are going to be a lot different. The Mets are going to be more national news uh i think their owner whether you like him dislike him like how he made his money don't like how he made his money i think he's gonna the one thing i could say is he he enjoys being the owner of a professional baseball team and wants to win and and some of the articles i've read recently specifically at the athletic i don't know if the 29 other guys have fallen into that category but i've always said as the mets moved away from wilpon ownership which had a lot of issues and we outlined some of them in the murphy examples the last you know 20 minutes or so that I never wanted the Mets to become, to move away from the blue collar fan base, the blue collar team. I always felt, can you win and still be true to your roots? And who knows, but it's going to, I'm curious your thoughts on the Cohen saga. Are there concerns you have as they become more Wall Street, the Mets? And would you prefer them to not win and keep, you know, that, you know, underdog status or would you run three World Series in the next 10 years? I want the World Series. I'll be honest with you. I want to talk more about Mets signing free agents, but I, I do fear I see the fan base that's changing in some ways. And the Cohen Twitter situation may not be Mets fans, but they're involved in it. And I worry that this is going to morph into something that both you and I, I think, are going to be uh, in this very small minority as we go forward. I couldn't help but laugh at the idea of you asking, would you prefer they not win? Well, you know, listen, I know (laughs) there's some tweets saying I want Wilpon ownership back after the whole Cullen GameStop GameStop thing, which I think if you you say that, you don't understand the GameStop saga and you don't understand what owning a baseball team is. I'm going to take a pass on the GameStop stuff because I know. Yeah, me too. I don't know enough. I'm I'm just going to assume that Mets ownership comes out of it able to run the Mets as we imagined. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
uh, and then that's a whole other conversation. But just in, within the idea of you know that it's in the Mets DNA to be adorable and and not win. Uh, no, <laughs> the Mets to win. Uh, hopefully they can they can do it cleanly, which is to say uh, you know not not running up to the scoreboard and changing it when the umpire isn't looking. Other than that, I'm for anything. <laughs> You think that will will yeah. elevate them into you know, all, all I really want. Yes, I would love to see a World Series victory in three to five years. I'd love to see one in one year. But what I really want is a team that doesn't fall apart, that doesn't have 2017 after it's 2016 and have, you know, 2001, most of 2001 after 2000 and have a team that just goes into the tank or worse uh after a couple of good years as was the case at the shall we say the dawn of the daniel murphy era uh give me again but it's probably because of when i came along into this uh great mets journey when i I came along in 1969 to a world championship team the next few years were a team that just was good wasn't good enough but they gave you the idea that they could win, and eventually they never win again. Never had the eighties. What you're looking for is a is a run like the eighties, from eighty four to ninety. Well, that, I, I I would like a I would like a run like the nineteen forty nine to fifty three Yankees. Quite right, frankly, but five that, yeah, but realistically, I want, yeah, I want realistically, right. Away. I want right. a team that, that doesn't fall apart. A team that doesn't you know be become the the button for jokes about how bad a baseball team can be. I want to. And I want an ownership that simply invests in making the team not just, com- you know, to use the, the baseline word competitive, but, you know, a, a team that is capable of winning every year that we go in and and aren't surprised once every generation right. when they right. finally get there. And, you know, the image, blue collar, white collar, I don't care what you call it, it'll take care of itself. We'll be who we are. Uh, whatever you've seen out of Mets fans since Steve Cohn took over, let's remember, they haven't played a single game. Uh, people have uh, a lot of headspace available for the Mets and nothing to fill it with right now. So sure. we're going to let our anxieties speak out loud sometimes. I'll wait till the Steve Cohn era begins on whenever, you know, right now scheduled, I believe, for April 1st. Uh, we'll, we'll see if the schedule changes in, in deference to health concerns, but Let's play some games. Let's see what the Steve Cohn era is and uh, evaluate it on that. But uh, I'm excited. Uh, I was excited, you know, the day they got Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. And that's not something that happens every offseason. Nope. <laughs> so, not at um, all. Not at all. You know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good in a general sense. And we'll, we'll see where the details take us. I, I'm looking at my crystal ball five, ten years from now. Greg Prince writes a book, How the Mets Went from Main Street to Wall Street. The Mets ah. of the of the 2020s, seven titles in ten years. And you're going to remember the bad old days when we had to worry about Daniel Murphy playing left field. But no, <laughs> all kidding. It's been, I just want, I just want to say, yeah. Mike, if you – I've had, had a reason for a project I was working on to be looking up some, some old, really old stuff from the 60s. The Mets, it was <laughs> – it was written at the time that the Mets were losing their their blue collar Main right. Street of the people. This is 1967. Wow! That oh, you know what? They're a sterile suburban team now. They're right. they I can see that. Team. They're not. They're not like the good old days in the Polo Grounds. From I got four you. Or five years I can see that. I so can see that. We, we go through that. I remember Sport Magazine did a feature on the Mets 
1988 saying, well, the Mets are finally back to their their street roots, not like in 86 when it was all the swells and elites. <laughs> so we go through this all the time. That's it's, funny. You know, funny. Uh, you know, within the context of a moment, anything can look like anything. Uh, we're Mets fans. Uh, we want to be happy. And if somebody's going to get us some players now and then to uh, in, enable our happiness, I'm going to like that guy and, and, and hope it's all on the up and up. If you want to relive 2015, amazing again, how the 2015 New York Mets brought the magic back to Queens. Obviously, you guys could get him on Faith and Fear and Flushing. You got anything else going on, Greg? Anything you want to let the listeners know about? Uh, projects, blog uh, situations, events, virtually, of course. What do you got going on? Uh, one thing that uh, came along uh, recently, a uh, very nice and talented writer named Brett Topol asked me to write uh, forward for his book, uh, about the uh, the Mount Rushmore of the Mets, a uh, very interesting concept. You know, I'm looking forward play- to that concept. Four, I'm very curious. Four, four who players picks. who represent the Mets various decades. And he was telling me, well, didn't really do anything about executives or owners because that's not what the book is about. But he said it, it just didn't seem right to not talk about Joan Payson, kind of a, a, a Mount Rushmore unto herself or a Mount Evers unto herself so i wrote a little something for that book which i think will be out around the time the season begins so that that was uh you know look for brett's book then uh it was it was fun to revisit a you know in retrospect and i think at the time a universally beloved mets owner uh i think uh i I didn't bother writing this down when, when i was doing this but i was thinking you know joan payson kind of elevated to sainthood during the Wilpon era <laughs> because yep. as was Nelson Doubleday because sure. anybody who wasn't the Wilpons I think right if we get into the Steve Cohn era and people are saying anything nicer about Fred and Jeff Wilpon than you know I met them once and they seemed like really nice guys sure. and they they sure. gave to it they, they gave to a charity and it was very giving of them I think if we're talking about them as boy I, I wish the Wilpons were back I think we're in deep trouble oh <laughs> but uh that's in, a book then then you got to write a book if that happens yeah. the good old Wilpons yeah. days then but you got to write 62 to 75 uh it was a wonderful you know again there, there were problems lurking on, under the uh under the floorboards I suppose in terms of succession planning for when after Mrs. Payson was gone yeah but uh you know, she was a, a beloved figure and it was great to go back look at what people said at the time and how it manifested itself in 1969. And, uh, you know, again, yeah, whoever's going to write the books about uh, the 20 fill in the blank, <laughs> this is the last two years of that equation, uh, Mets, uh, I hope there's a chapter in there that said, boy, that's Steve Cohn. That was a great thing that he bought the team. And uh, look, look how good they started getting the minute he showed up. But we'll see. All right, Greg. Well, be well. Thank you so much. You're very generous your time. I always love having you on. And we'll do this again, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing. And you know what? You want to, so maybe it's five years, six years old, but amazing again how the 2015 New York Mets brought the magic back to Queens with Murphy retiring, maybe get a chance to, you know, do a little look back. So anyway, let's take a quick break, wrap up. Want to go through some really cool comments you guys have uh, made. Do a little quick mailbag before we wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at 
TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Thought Greg Prince did a great job. Really appreciate him coming on and spending so much time. And take a little breath uh, as we're in the midst of so much craziness and have some positivity by looking back at the career of Daniel Murphy. Hope you liked it. It was a casual conversation. Nothing too deep. And it gets your mind off of uh, you know some of the nonsense that's been going on in the, the baseball universe. Uh, let's do some quick thank yous here on the way out as I wanted to focus a little bit on Twitter and email and some really nice new some of them new listeners but nice comments over there and I wanted to share it I know there's some negative out there and I do want to get to that but I don't know how much time I want to stay positive and, I, and believe me I'm not just going to uh, read positive comments I'll always read a, uh, a critique uh, jrock on Twitter at jrock6986 count me in as a new follower and listener I will do whatever I can also to help your following Cancel culture is some clown stuff for weak-minded individuals. Imagine thinking you want someone to lose their livelihood because you think different than they do. I had to edit that out. It's a family program. But J-Rock, thank you. Thank you for your support. We don't cancel people here. We debate them. We talk about them. We critique them. We criticize them. We do it, I think, in a fun, professional, and fair manner. So continue to... uh, uh, to to listen to the podcast. And like I always tell people, you want to thank me? I always appreciate it. But try to get other people on board. That's always um, that's always something that uh, we, we we appreciate here. Now, see this one, Rich Hausig on Twitter, at Hausig Rich. Uh, Medellin Mets fan. See, you thought I was going to say that wrong. See, I made sure. Now, as an entourage fan, I would have probably said Medellin. But I think the proper way, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Medellin Mets fan. Um, And uh, I want to thank him for his uh, kind words and support. Uh, He actually wrote me an email. And um, he's been watching the Mets for 50 seasons. And if you're outside the country, and I believe you are, uh, Richard, uh, be well, be safe. And hopefully this show is, uh, is helping you continue that Mets fandom in a positive way. Phil Curtolo, I often disagree with your politics, Mike, for lack of a better word, but I always enjoy your thoughts and opinions about our favorite team, and that's fine. I, I appreciate that. I mean, and Phil, you you emailed me. Um, I know you're at Mr. Underscore Met on Twitter and about movie recommendations, so that's a tough one. We've been watching uh, during the pandemic a lot of series, but um, if you want to know the genres I like, you know, think Homeland, um... Jeez, I mean, like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, of different, it kind of got me on the spot, but I, like Homeland was one that I really enjoyed uh, recently. That's a series, not a movie. Um, Criminal Minds, you know, that's a good series. I know I'm giving you series, but you could see kind of, you know, where I'm going. A little bit of horror, but, you know, not gory horror, but fun horror. Um, listen, if you guys like it and you guys think it's good, then, you know, I watch Billions, Obviously, I watch The Walking Dead, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. If you have something you think is cool that you're enjoying, I probably will enjoy it. I have to think about that. And Phil, I, I owe you an email, and I definitely will get back to you, but I do uh, appreciate that. Uh, what else do we have here? I want to make sure I get everybody here. Michael Lynch out in, I believe, London, sharing his experience walking to Mets games as a kid uh, from Whitestone. That's a pretty cool place to live if you want to go to the old Chase Stadium. 
He's been out in the UK for 15 years, and uh, hopefully this podcast is helping you. And, you know, one thing I am learning uh, is that this podcast is helping those who are not in the area kind of have that New York feel. And that's a cool thing. It wasn't an, It's always been something that I've gotten feedback on as I've gone along doing, whether it's the old NYBD or any of the other projects I've worked on. But when I started doing this, it was interesting that I would see downloads from different countries. And then sometimes you wonder if they're bots because you don't know. But then I would start getting emails from people in those countries saying, no, it's legit. And uh, we have a very solid, strong audience, you know, very modest one in comparison to the big guys. But I, I put, you know, 194 reviews and, and counting on Apple, four out of five. I think you have a small minority of people trying to hurt us with negative reviews. And that's okay. That's their prerogative. Some of them are fair. I can see that some of them are angry. Some of them, I think, are just doing it without listening to the show just to, to hurt the – the hope is to hurt me and you not listen and people not listen and, and the podcast goes away. And then obviously that you know is a whole other thing. So also want to thank John Valentin. Now, I don't think it's the John Valentin that used to play for the Red Sox or the Mets, but John Valentin, great support of the show. Appreciate your emails and uh, – you know, we'll keep uh, we'll keep uh, interacting, and and please, like I said, let your friends know. But going back to the original point, like I said, I didn't realize there's such an out of town component. I want to bridge the gap between the fans and the front office and the team and the media. I want to kind of be this guy trying to direct what the what opinions I feel are worthwhile, and also calling out nonsense, but not just doing that. Also having some fun and talking about the team. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a professional. I've always prided myself on being professional and objective. But I think it's important that when you're building something like this, I'm not reporting the the White House press briefings here, that you start to uh, keep – you be a professional, but you keep your fandom in a positive way and, and use that positively, not in a way which becomes carnival, if that makes sense. So out-of-town people – People that live in the tri-state area, Mets fans of all backgrounds, all age groups, all political affiliations. It's all good. And it's one big virtual community. And I know I'll leave you guys with this. I know there's this thing called Clubhouse uh, that's been bandied about. And I may participate in a Clubhouse thing. I don't know how that's going to go. But if that's something that we can do and create and get on, I'll look into it because I would love to have some kind of interaction. It's very hard on a podcast because people have asked, how can I get on? And the question is right now I pre-record and anything I did live on blog talk radio, it's always hard to filter that and it doesn't sound as good. But I'd like to see if there's a way to do something and maybe record it and then uh, we'll figure it out. I mean, obviously live events and stuff. I don't know if I'm popular enough to pull one of those off, especially considering some of you guys are not even in the country. And I'm not a big live public person. I think the radio has always been my thing, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. So I'm sure there's people I missed, and I, I apologize. And believe me, I'm not trying to slight anybody. I've been taking some notes of some people I wanted to thank. People have been tremendously supportive of this program on Twitter, tremendously supportive over email. And email me anytime. I will get back to you. Tweet at me. Um, I consider this a big virtual community, and I and I also consider us maybe to be, in some ways, maybe it's 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 not perfectly the same thing as being a friend, but a friend or an acquaintance, and that's it means a lot to me. So, anyway, I want to thank Greg Prince for joining us today. You can check him all the time at Greg underscore Prince on Twitter. Faith and Fear and Flushing. Nice talking to him about the 2015 Mets and Daniel Murphy. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet. 
at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.